You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned afterward for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Welcome today to week two of the series we're doing this month along with a lot of other folks around the world in our Every Nation family. It's called Set Apart, as you can see, a biblical view of holiness. And if that sounds either boring, like holiness for real, it sounds threatening, like, man, is it going to get on me? If it sounds exactly what you want to hear, Or if it sounds exactly like something you think somebody else needs to hear, just give me a chance. I hope to change all of your minds by the time we're done today. Our scripture reading is going to be from Hebrews chapter 7. Here we go. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. That's the reading of God's word all his people today said. Amen. Amen. Hey, have you ever wondered <clears throat> what's wrong with the world? <laughs> what's wrong with the world? Uh, like you, you saw something bad, you, you read something bad, maybe you did something bad, and you wondered what is wrong with the world? Now, Jesus, of course, at one point kind of did this, by the way. One time he asked this, oh, unbelieving generation, How long shall I put up with you? Like, what is wrong with all of you? And this is the same kind of question that some of you asked when some family came to visit during the holidays, if you're honest. Like, how long shall I put up with you? What is wrong with all of you? Now, again, Jesus asked this question. You've asked this question. Philosophers have asked this question. Faith systems asked this question. You asked this after your team loses on a bad call. What is wrong with the world? Now, fortunately or unfortunately, psychologists have also put some thought to and some language around a response to the question. For example, a man by the name of Dr. Christian Jarrett, fairly famous, not a Christian, but cognitive neuroscientist. How about that for a job title? Cognitive neuroscientist. He's written a bunch of books about the human brain, and he collected a bunch of studies over the years. And to the question, what is wrong with us? What's wrong with the world? He's put together what I'll call a dispiriting list, a discouraging list. The next eight things you're about to hear are not a good look for those of us in human bodies today. What is wrong with the world? Research shows this. Eight things. Here we go. Number one, we view minorities of any kind in any culture and the vulnerable 
as less than human. Two examples. Studies have shown that young people, especially in the West, tend to dehumanize older people. Cue the OK Boomer chants as Exhibit A. Some of you know what I'm talking about. All right. Second, we tend, men and women alike, tend to dehumanize, specifically, drunk women. As in, she got drunk, she deserved it. Right? This bad list goes on and on. All right. Number two, we experience, here's a new word for some of you, schadenfraude. Schadenfraude, that means pleasure at another person's distress by the age of four. This is literally why kids love to watch people fall down. This is why we love Tom and Jerry, hmm? Looney Tunes. We watch Home Alone to watch the wet bandits get their just desserts. All right, number three, we believe in karma. His word, not mine. His, we, karma, we assume that the downtrodden of the world deserve their fate. Research, such as the book of Job, <laughs> has shown our willingness to blame sufferers for their suffering. Number four, we are blinkered and dogmatic. How about those two words? That means our minds aren't changed by facts. So you're like, I don't believe you. Um, see what I did there? Okay. All right. In fact, when presented with facts that contradict what we believe, the human mind tends to double down on its original belief in order to preserve its sense of identity. That is, we equate being wrong with being bad. So we warp the world to save ourselves. Number five, we would rather, this is true, electrocute ourselves than spend time in our own thoughts. A controversial 2014 study showed two-thirds of men and one-fourth of women, don't know what that means, anyway, <laughs> opted to give themselves unpleasant electrical shocks rather than spend 15 minutes in peaceful contemplations apart from their phones. You can look this study up. Number six, he says we're vain and overconfident, specifically when it comes to our morals. One study showed, for example, that jailed criminals think they are kinder, more trustworthy, and more honest than the average member of the public. Number seven, we are moral hypocrites. That is, we tend to view acts of rudeness far more harshly when they're done by others than by ourselves. We think, they were terrible, but I had a good reason. I had a good reason. Number eight, we are all potential trolls. Potential trolls. Study after study shows, you can look this up, how quickly the average person is incited online by social media. As in, you go on looking for cute cats, you end up cursing your own cousin. Like, how did that happen? And now we're back to number seven. They were terrible. I had a good reason for doing it. At this point, Dr. Jarrett's list goes on and his list gets worse. I have mercifully cut it short. To quote Jesus, I have much more to tell you, but you cannot bear it at this time. What's the deal? What's the deal? See, the truth is, instead of Dr. Jarrett's list, I could have just pulled headlines from the Austin American Statesman over the past two weeks. There was a murder-suicide by his son to his parents in Williamson County. There was a machete attack at Auditorium Shores. A teacher solicited sex with a student. What's wrong with us? There's an old word for all of this that I think perfectly describes the human condition. It's this word, the word 
profane. Profane. It's where we get our word, of course, profanity. Without which at least one person you know at work probably wouldn't even be able to hold a conversation. Okay. To profane means to take something sacred and to break it or desecrate it. To profane means to see something that was good and make it bad. To profane means to take something clean and make it dirty. To profane means to take something spoiled, unspoiled that is, and to spoil it. See, Dr. Jarrett's list, the statesman's list, the Bible's list shows us this truth, that humanity has a proclivity for profanity. Humanity has a proclivity for profanity. And I don't just mean language, of course. We, we see, we desecrate the sacredness of our bodies, do we not? We desecrate the well-being of others. We desecrate the sacredness of creation, the earth God's made. We, we strip the sacred. We promote the profane. Humanity has a proclivity for profanity. So what are we going to do about it, hmm? What are we going to do about it? Now, maybe just as good as, or I think better a question would be, what have we done about it? What have we done about it? What have humans traditionally done to deal with their proclivity for profanity? See, we sense there's something wrong with others, for sure. Sometimes even something wrong with ourselves. We know there's a problem. We've got to do something. What have we done traditionally? To try to turn the unholy back into the holy. And if, by the way, that word holy bothers you, I get it. I can understand why it might. People can beat you up with it. They beat me up with it. And it's possible, given my situation and position, I've beat other people up with it. I certainly hope not. But, but the misuse of it, I want to tell you, doesn't diminish its power or what's more, hear me, our longing our longing for holiness because I think we would all rather live in a world filled with the sacred, hmm? healed by the truly holy rather than live in a world only scarred by the profane and marred by the unholy. I think we actually long for a life marked by things like courage, beauty, justice, peace, and to describe that kind of life The Bible uses the word holy, not to beat you up, hear me, but to stir you up, to stir you up, to stir up your longing for the way you want the world to be. See, we long for life to be better, don't we? We don't want life to be blinkered, hmm? shot through with schadenfreude, but there's a problem. We can't unspoil what's been spoiled all on our own. What has humanity done to deal with our proclivity for profanity? Well, the answer the Bible uses is this word we're going to look at in depth today. The answer is the word priests. Priests. Yeah, priests. I wasn't expecting that, but here's what, that's what you got. All right. Priests. Humanity has created and uses priests to deal with our proclivity for profanity. And at this point is where we enter the world of the Bible and the world of our text. See, in the book of Hebrews, we just read it. Written in the first century, Hebrews, by the way, is possibly, most likely, a sermon turned into a book which is like every preacher's dream come true. 
Like my sermon was so good. They had to write it down and publish it for the next 2,000 years. Like, you know, it is what it is, you know. In Hebrews, the writer, sorry, preacher's joke, bad joke. There's not getting any better, by the way. It's all you got today. The writer is encouraging Christians in the midst of extreme persecution, not persecution like Facebook won't publish my comment. But the state itself, the government is killing people like me. The state itself in that day had become an unholy and profane instrument. What could help a people living in an unholy, profaned place and time? It was something they knew about, but they weren't thinking about. Something they were familiar with, but not intimate enough with. What did these early Christians need in the book of Hebrews to reclaim their dignity, their meaning, their peace, their set-apartness in a profane time and place? They needed to do three things we're going to look at real quick. In turn, three things. They needed to remember the promise of a priest. Number two, they needed to recall the problems of a priest. And finally, to reclaim the promise of a new priest. Remember, recall, reclaim. I'd like to show you all three from these passages and why each of them really, really matters. To transform the profane into the sacred, we need to, number one, remember the promise of a priest. Promise of a priest. What's the promise of a priest? Well, verse 27 now drills down on it. He writes, High priests offer sacrifices daily. Why? First for their own sins and then for those of the people. This act is what one psychologist has called the Macbeth effect. Macbeth effect, like in honor of Shakespeare's Lady Macbeth. Yes, you've been forced to read this. If you remember, after Lady Macbeth had goaded her husband into killing King Duncan, she had an obsession with water and cleansing herself. Remember this, yes. She goes from a little water clears us of this deed to later on like flushing her body and saying, out, damned spot, out, I say. That's the promise of a priest. To use something, to do something, to get out the damned spot of shame in your soul. Hmm? The damned bit of dirt in your conscience. The promise of a priest is to be the person who makes you and me holy, sacred, beautiful again. We have three ways, among others, we do this. First of all, we can use politicians to do this, to cleanse our consciences. For example, last week there was a, a New York Times article that ran. It interviewed specific people group of people in Iowa about their voting views. These were many people like us, evangelical Christians. They once attended church, but they had left. And referencing her candidate of choice, one voter named Sidney said this, I'll vote for him. Him, said Sidney Hatfield, a retired corrections officer in Lorville, town of 381 people in Calhoun County. He's the only savior I can see. Raised as a Baptist, Miss Hatfield no longer attends church. So she doesn't attend a church, but she still has a savior. Hmm? A high priest who can get out the damned spot of the other party, apparently. <laughs> See, we use politicians on one hand to be a priest. Number two, we can use celebrities. We can use celebrities. Some of you may have seen this, the Billie Eilish documentary. You're like, who is she? All right, famous singer, just ask your millennial or your Gen Z friend. Okay. Documentary was called The World's a Little Blurry. There she is looking 
Very happy, of course. And in it, 17-year-old Billy talks about the -the over-the-top crush she had on the Biebs, on Justin Bieber. Her crush got so intense, she tells, that she used to cry in her room for hours just thinking about him. Yeah. To the point her parents considered taking her to therapy. And the documentary shows what happened when she finally... When Billy met the Beebs at a Coachella music festival, when she actually met him, she fell into his arms and sobbed. Sobbed. See, with all respect to Billy, that is a picture of why we create and how we use priests. We use them to absolve ourselves of some lack. We all do this. We all, don't we, fall into the arms of someone we believe can cleanse us, and we do this today third way in the age of expression, which is ourselves. See, when we tell ourselves, hey, you're fine, you're good, there's nothing to see here, you're somebody special, just because we say so, devoid of a creator God, we just function as our own high priest. We become, as the Gen X band Depeche Mode put it perfectly, our own personal Jesus our own personal Jesus. We use politicians, celebrities, ourselves, perhaps even parents. That's what priests promise. They promise us cleansing, absolution, meaning, transcendence to make us holy, set apart, and sacred. But, oh, but there are problems with priests, aren't there? Yeah. And the writer of Hebrews knows this and brings them back up. He says here, number two, he says, you people living in a profane place, don't forget. He says, number two, recall here, the actual problems of a priest. There are three problems he lists that are common to all priests. What are they? Okay, number one. He says here, priests are finite. They're finite, as in they all die. He writes this, verse 23, the former priests, speaking of the Jewish system, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. So he's saying, think about it, dear reader. What happens if and when? Your parent dies, your president dies, your pop star dies, or you die if you've made any other person your high priest, any other person your way to be okay, you got a problem, which is this. One day, your priest is going away, going away. One day, he's saying, that high priest of yours is gonna pass. Recall, for example, Moses, gone. Buddha, dead. Muhammad, deceased. Recall the rest of us on our way, you know. What happens to you then? That's the first problem. Second problem of priests is this. Not just that priests are finite, but that priests are also fallible. They sin too. I mean, even most priests in the Bible weren't great priests or leaders. Dr. William Merle, he's the dean of Every Nation Seminary, he puts it like this. He says, for every Moses on the mountain, There's an Aaron in the valley molding a golden calf. For every Samuel serving God from his childhood, there are the sons of Eli preying on women, serving in the tabernacle. For every David, a man after God's heart, and Ahab leads the people away from God. Even the great priests and spiritual leaders were sinful. Moses, Samuel, and David were all deeply flawed spiritual leaders who needed a substitute to atone for their sins. 
Don't forget, priests are follow-up. A couple weeks ago, I was privileged to be a, a keynote speaker at the Every Nation Campus Conference. Atlanta, Florida is awesome. Yeah, thank you, Carrie. Appreciate that very much. <laughs> one fan, one follower. All right. <clears throat> That's all I need. If I got you, I got everything, babe. All right. Don't you want to come to the marriage event now? Yeah, all right. Anyway, I happened to speak there, and by all accounts, I didn't blow it. It's always nice. Uh, I think my message in front of 2,500 students went pretty well. I tell you that not to impress you, but to give you a sense of scope for what I'm about to share next. Afterward, for the rest of the conference, I functioned like a mini-celebrity. There's a stream of people coming up to talk to me or take pictures with me. There was one student who came up to me literally shaking, phone in his hand. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't believe it's you. I can't believe I'm really meeting you. Why are you laughing? (laughs) This guy had it right. Like, you need to come to my church. He says, your message was so great. I can't believe I'm meeting you. And he wanted a picture with me. To which I thought one thing, and I said one thing. What I thought was, you know, this isn't too bad. (laughs) I can get used to this, show up, speak, have everybody love you, or at least think they love you. But what I said to him was this. I I looked him right in the eye, and I said, thank you very much. But what I hope you heard most of all was God's word. Because that's what changes people. What changes people is God's word. And I hope that's what you heard while you were here. He looked kind of bewildered. <laughs> he said, oh, I did. I did. Now, probably what I should have said was this. It might have sent him spiraling. What I should have said was this. Just hang around long enough, kid. What I think would really happen is this. Now, number, two things. First of all, I think you would probably come to know Jesus better if you hung around me. I'd like to think that anyway. I like to think if you hung around me long enough, you would come to love Jesus better. But number two, at some point, it's going to hit you like a ton of of bricks. That pastor is not perfect. He is fallible. I wanted to say to him, don't make me your high priest, the one from whom you get meaning by being associated with. I'm fallible as well. And to know this is to do what Nelson Mandela did. After 27 years of soul searching in prison, Nelson Mandela came out. They wanted to call him the saint. He said, no, no. He said, don't make me your holy one. Priests are finite. Priests are fallible. But perhaps, perhaps the main problem priests have really is this. It's that the humans who look to them, number three, are fallen. Fallen. Why have so many animals been sacrificed over the years in so many religious systems? It's not because the little lamb deserved it. It's not because the priests deserved it. It's because the people needed it. The people needed forgiveness, meaning to be cleansed. They needed to have their unholiness undone, their sanctity Resecured, and so a little lamb lost its life. So the people could keep theirs. Oh, but a one time temporary lamb can't, can't do what you need. It can only take away sin one time today. And in the same way, I want to tell you you meet that celebrity you've been thinking about, going to that concert, going to the backstage VIP section, can only take away a sense of meaninglessness one time. In that moment, voting for that person 
one time every four years. <laughs> it can only cleanse your conscience for a little bit. In the end, see the problem with priests, as much as it might be them or her or him, it's us. It's us. Priests are finite. Priests are fallible. We are fallen. What hope for holiness do we have to restore our holiness, to have our sanctity resecured, to become God's sacred space? We need something, rather we need someone, to use the writer of Hebrews' word, someone better, better. And the writer of Hebrews 7 says, now number three, we've got to reclaim the promise of a new priest. Reclaim the promise of a new priest because he's about to show us this is who Jesus came to be, among other things. He came to be our new, cosmically better high priest. They, the people, had forgotten this, so he reminds them to reclaim it. Verse 26, he says, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. We needed someone, look at this word, what? Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. For the law appoints men, speaking of the Jewish law, men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, that's God's promise to send someone better, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. And that's good news. God has given humanity a new, perfect, forever high priest. See, unlike Pharaoh's high priest back in Egypt's courts, oh, Christ's power is real and ultimate. Unlike the Jewish high priest in the temple courts because of Christ's resurrection, he lives forever. Unlike our modern high priest in the courts of public opinion and entertainment, oh, he is perfect. Unlike our fallen figures in the outer courts, of religion. He isn't out to use you, no. Instead, to become a Christian means you are pulled, hear me, into Christ's inner court, into what Jews called the holy of holies, the most sacred place imaginable. And now his blood, not a lamb's, cleanses you for forever. His performance becomes yours. God sees you and delights. Jesus rose and lives to be your high priest. And not only does he live to be your high priest, this says he lives to ever make intercession for us. He prays for us and you and me as your high priest. You ever thought about that? That Jesus cares more actually about the state of your soul. Come on, the Lord is my shepherd, right? He cares more about the state of your soul than any mentor or pastor, or a parent. I mean, Jesus cares for you. Did you know this? More than Taylor Swift or the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, it's crazy. Actually, they don't really care about you. They don't even know you, okay? As a pastor, I want to tell you, I care a lot about the state of your soul, but Jesus cares infinitely, flawlessly more. That's the promise, the promise of a new priest. He's come to clear me, to cleanse this temple. Hmm? To make you a sacred space in which God dwells. Actually, would you say this with me? Say, I am God's sacred space. I am God's sacred space. Yeah, you don't have to depend on a dying impermanent priest to set you apart, make you unique, make you God's, make you holy. No, you've got Jesus. 
the great high priest, resurrected from the dead over all, all creation. Let me just apply this in three ways. Number one, you're like, okay, what do I do with this? What do I do with all this? Number one, to quote Bob Dylan, you go to him now. He calls you. You can't refuse. When you've got nothing, you've got nothing to lose. It means you go to him. In your moments of weakness, you go to him in your moments of insecurity. You go to him in your feelings of being overlooked and you say, oh, great high priest, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. And you'll be reminded, if you do that, in that moment of what I'm reminding you about now. If you're a Christian, you're no longer unholy. You are God's sacred space. Your holiness has been restored. We're not profaned people anymore. The fathers cleanse children. You go to him. That's what you do with it. Number one, you go to him. Number two, what do we not do with this? What do we not do with this? Okay, hear me. What you've heard today doesn't mean you don't need others to talk to, others to share with, others to confess your sins to. James 5 says this. There's spiritual power in confessing your sins to another person. We need people, okay? What we don't do with this is reject friends, reject mentors, reject Christian community. I can be a good Christian on my own apart from any other person. No, you can't. Jesus never said that. If you got that for the message, you got the wrong message. Hear me. Even in the garden, in Genesis, even in a sacred holy place, Every Adam still needs an Eve. Come on. Every Eve still needs an Adam. Some of you are like, I take an Eve, thank you. I take an Adam, thank you. All right. Number three, how do we then, but how do we carry this to others? How do we help others with this? Perhaps, last thought, the most amazing doctrine of the church is something called the priesthood, the priesthood of believers. What is that? What is the priesthood of believers? Church father Athanasius put it like this, in best, he, Jesus, became what we are. He became what we are so that he might make us what he is. He became what we are that he might make us what he is. He became what we are, human, that he might make us what he is, a holy priest. Come on. That's a way of saying this. If you have been reconciled to God, now you have been welcomed into Christ's ministry of reconciling the world back to him. Listen, we have leaders at Mosaic, ministers, pastors at Mosaic, but none called priests. You know why? Because you're all priests. We're all priests. Because of your union with Christ, he makes you like he is. A priest, lowercase p, of course, but still a priest, someone who's got ministries and gifts and abilities to reconcile the world to Christ. Martin Luther put it like this. Not only are we the freest kings of all, but we are also, also priests forever. This is more excellent by far than kingship because through the priesthood, we are worthy to appear before God, to pray for others, and to teach one another. Church, why are we set apart? Why have we been made sacred and holy again? It's to make the world, bit by bit, like the sacred space of the heart of our great high priest, Jesus Christ, lives forever. Hope you can say amen. Let me take a moment and pray for us. Father, we thank you for this. Lord, for the, the power of this, the truth of this. We thank you for saving us from finite, fallen, fallible high priests and people. That you've given us a way to be your sacred place and space for forever. It's through the coming, the living, the dying, 
the rising of our great high priest, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We thank you for these things. May they change our lives, how we live every day, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.